What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh. I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica, meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadl. Time is the thing. Time is the essential piece of interpretation. You cannot start without me. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Well, you thought the podcast was gone, but we are back for a very short mini addendum season to celebrate Kate Blanchett's collaboration with Todd Field in Tar. Definitely my most anticipated movie of the year, the most anticipated movie of the year for a lot of my friends and people I know. Um, so we will be discussing a few movies that have a relationship to Tar, particularly those directed by Todd Field, like the one we're doing today, which is Todd Field's first movie as a director in the bedroom. And for this conversation, I am very excited to welcome to the podcast for the first time, filmmaker, programmer at Nighthawk, and host of Adventures in Black Cinema, Desmond Thorne. Hi, Desmond. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited that we finally get to talk on the podcast. I've wanted to have you as a guest for a long time. Yes, thank you. And like Todd Field is the best. So this is perfect. Yes. I know <laughs> you you love Todd Field. So you're the mm-hmm. perfect person to talk to about this first f- of his films as a director. Um, before we jump into In the Bedroom, can you tell me a little bit of why you respond to Todd Field this way? To me, it's so much in the writing. I mean, I don't know where it comes in in terms of, you know, process, if it's more about the edits that happen in the film or if it is truly about his scripts. But like he knows how to end a scene. He knows how to build things up very slowly. And there's these little things that you kind of see that feel meaningless, but they mean so much as the film goes Mm -hmm. on. It's just incredible. And as an actor, I feel as if he gets incredible performances from his actors as a director as well, just like across the board, you know? Yes. And this is something that I've noticed. I've, I've just watched both his movies as a writer director. So in the bedroom and little children, and you notice like they're so well cast and even the tiniest, smallest role is just, all the actors give like these breathtaking performances, like even the smallest role that just somebody who's just like, in the background in a scene. They're just like exactly right. Exactly. And it's interesting that you say that because when I was rewatching In the Bedroom, I thought about Celia Weston and how great she is in everything, but how great she is in this movie with like (laughs) a scene and a half. Yes. And a scene where she's just a voice in the background, one of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's so good and so specific. And there's something about those movies where you can tell all those actors are really enjoying like digging into this stuff because it's not easy. You know, there are some, I guess, comedic elements that pop up in Little Children. Mm-hmm. But in in the bedroom, it's just like dead serious. But you can tell that these people felt like they were being taken care of and like excited to work, you know? 
Yeah. And one other thing you mentioned about his sort of prowess as a writer, what I noticed when watching in the bedroom, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I have to to mention this now before we dig deep, just because of what you said, is that I felt I I was thinking some of like the big scenes, they kind of start in the middle of what's happening and end before like things happen. And that's just such a sure-footed way of writing. Like he knows we will get the big picture or whatever the scene is supposed to do. There's Mm -hmm. not, there's so precise, so economical. Absolutely. Just just the right amount of information to build that tension because this movie is tense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It really, really is. Like, I'm sure we'll get to this, but the end, I actually hadn't seen this movie in so long that I forgot what he did. So I was, even someone who's seen the movie before was like, oh my God, what's Tom Wilkinson going to do? Is he going to do it? Is he not going to do it? Is he going to do it? And then of course, you know, he does it. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's, let's dive into In the Bedroom. So In the Bedroom is directed by Todd Field, uh, written by Todd Field and Robert Festinger, adapted from the short story Killing by Andre Dubas. I don't know, Dubu. I don't know how to say that, but he's a well-known famous writer who has since passed. Actually, he passed right before this movie was released in 2001. Um, so in the bedroom, star Cece Spacek and Tom Wilkinson, they play this uh, middle-aged couple. They're in their mid-50s, I think. And they live in this um, fishing town, I think in Maine. That's mm-hmm. the location. And their son, played by Nick Stahl, is having a summer fling, an affair, something with this woman, played by Marissa Tomei, who has two young children and who has an ex. We're not sure if he's a husband. He's an ex anyway. He's the father of the two boys. And he's sort of a violent man. And the mm-hmm. story is that Cece Spacek is the mom is sort of disapproving of this relationship because of the age, because of the children. You don't know why, but you could just say it's not sitting well with her. And Tom Wilkinson is sort of into it just because Marissa Tomei is, of course, Marissa Tomei. She's hot <laughs> and beautiful and nice. And who wouldn't want somebody like that in their family or... Um, around their son and then the son kind of says that it's just a summer fling to his mom but we know that it's deeper because when he's talking to Marissa Tomei he's maybe wants to delay going to college so he's in that gap year between I think high school and college or something like that Mm -hmm. maybe he's a little older because nobody mentions that he's a teenager so he's probably a little older maybe it's between college and grad school something like that uh, but he's definitely younger than Marissa Tomei by at least a decade, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is that he is murdered by Marissa Tomei's ex. And then the movie goes from there and becomes this triste on grief. And it explores this marriage and brings out all the tension in this marriage because they grief in, in different ways, Cece uh, Spacek and Tom Wilkinson. And what sort of also... Uh, makes the issue more complex is that on a technicality, the killer is sort of let out on bail and he's out in the this small town that they all live in. So they run into him and that exasperates this tension between them and makes Tom Wilkinson do something. And we kind of by the end think that it was maybe a plot that they hatched together in their grief um, mm-hmm. to basically kill the killer. Mm-hmm. so spoiler yep, <laughs> <laughs> yep. it's so uh, good yeah 
So Desmond, does that sort of tell us, this, was that a good approximation of what happens in this movie? Absolutely. Absolutely. It breaks it down very nicely. And it's just such an interesting story because it's very, it's very complex and very deep. And yet it's also very simple and it happens to very normal people mm-hmm. with normal jobs in a normal yes. town. And there is a sense about it that sounds like a melodramatic concept, but it's so genuine and mm-hmm. grounded the whole time. Like I'm thinking about the big scene where they have this big argument where everything starts to like come out and where I first heard about this movie and saw this movie with all the commercials and the Oscar clips, the, Slamming the plate, Sissy Spacek. The Sissy Spacek plate is a very famous (laughs) clip now because it was her Oscar clip. And it's a clip that people use on Twitter all the time, at least people I follow. It's (laughs) it's so good. And like the scene that follows that after Tom Wilkinson is talking to the Girl Scout, when they're apologizing to each other, is also just, just as real as everything that they just said to each other. And mm-hmm. that shows the complexity of human beings mm-hmm. and relationships and grief in just those two scenes, yeah. let alone the rest of the movie, you know? <laughs> yes. That scene is definitely a centerpiece and I think we'll, mm. we'll come back to it. But I want to start with at the beginning. I think this movie has one, like I noticed it this time that I, when I was watching, it has one of the best sort of like opening scenes because the opening scene, you hear somebody, they could be laughing or screaming. Mm-hmm. It's Marissa Tomei. And the camera sort of opens on them in a field. And she's running, but you don't see her whole body. You see sort of a headless Marissa Tomei running. And yeah. there's a man running behind her. And the way that the, the sort of the ominous sound, even though this is a field, it's in the morning, it's sunlit, it's gorgeous. The sound design of this movie is great. And in that first scene, exactly, it's so ominous. Like, you, is she is she running from somebody? And then we discover, no, this is somebody she, this is a, the man she loves. And this mm-hmm. is sort of, they're just playing and they start kissing. But the sound is still so ominous. And yes. something bad is going to happen. Like, yes. you know... From that first scene. And that's before the credits. Before you even get to the credits. Exactly. Exactly. And as I was thinking this time in that sound that it reminds me of the very opening of Little Children too, where you're just hearing like the ambiance, but there's something in it. You're just like, something's not right. Something is like off, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's so good. So, so good. And then we sort of like, after that scene... The setup is also just like we were talking earlier about his writing and so economical. Like they set these relationships, the two relationships between Tom Wilkinson and Cece Spacek as this older married couple, their son was Marissa Tomei. And then the people in this small town, like there is Marissa's kids, there is her ex-husband, there is Celia Weston and her husband who are the older couple's friends. There is sort of like maybe a drunk priest who comes to, to their to their party like it sets up these relationships Tom Wilkinson is sort of like the local doctor so he kind of knows everybody in this Mm -hmm. small town and the films it's so economical ways tells us that maybe there is a little bit of disappointment in this marriage because 
they're kind of a little brusque with each other, but also there's a throwaway line where it implies to us that Tom Wilkinson takes a lot of time away from work and from mm-hmm. home on his fishing boat. Yep. And so all is not well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like one of the first scenes that I really, s- is is basically Sissy Spacek's first scene. She's introduced the last and it's, they're having this summer picnic and Marissa Tomei is there and she's like, oh, I'm going to help your mother. And we haven't seen the mom yet. And mm-hmm. then she goes into the kitchen to help her. And like from the first moment that this woman appears, you know, she has some feelings about Marissa Tomei. 100%. 100%. It's so interesting that she, Marissa Tomei asks her for help and she gives her the most menial task in the world. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. Can you grab me that bowl over there? That like empty ass bowl. It's Which so is, interesting. It's right there. She could have just leaned and taken it. Yeah, like Exactly, exactly. And then Marissa Tomei, Ask for clarification. She's just like, oh, do you mean this one? Like really trying to please and like get in with the good graces and stuff. Mm. And um, I love what she said about the writing of the birthday party being such a good way to kind of set up all of these people in a very organic way. It almost feels like one of the first scenes in a play. Cause I feel like that's something yeah. like they always do in like old school plays, like Tennessee Williams or anything, you know, street credit and desire. You just start to see the people around they come yeah. in, they come out and you get to meet everybody. And um, yeah, I love that as a tool for so many things, introducing the characters and also just like starting the issues, starting the problems, the seeds of the problems start mm-hmm. to like come out a little bit, you know? Yeah. All these little aggressions that mm-hmm. happen between these different characters tell us about the tension. And we yeah. kind of know what everybody feels about everybody else mm-hmm. without actually them telling us anything. Because exactly. they, they don't talk about their feelings. Mm-hmm. And I love too, when you meet Marissa Tomei's ex-husband and their son does something to his little brother the dad like threatens the kid yeah he's like do you want me to do that to you and that's everything you need to know this dude is an asshole and he's abusive to his kids and then you're like oh his wife as well you know you get his violence almost instantly just in that one line yes and I think also the the film, what I liked about it is that it sets this sort of like class dichotomy between, mm-hmm. between Tom Wilkinson and CeCe Spacek and Marissa Tomei. So he's a doctor. There is mention of him going to an Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. She's a choir conductor in the local college or in a college maybe close by. Mm-hmm. Um, she went to Brown. She went to Brown. So they're definitely, and Marissa Tomei is sort of like, she's a stay-at-home mom with this husband who has money, but also maybe doesn't have a job. He's just from a rich family. So there is there is a sort of like a class distinction between these two. And that's also set up without telling us anything. But mm-hmm. maybe that's one of the reasons why Cece Space's character resents that woman. Well, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting that the class thing is something that I noticed the most this time watching around, especially taking note of the opening credit sequence when you're seeing all the sardines put in cans and stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, you see 
without being told, when you find out what that guy's last name is, you're like, oh, that's the family who owns the place that was producing mm. all of that shit in the beginning. Yeah. And they used this truck when Tom Wilkinson is at the diner. It's like the um, fact that he gets off on bail is something that makes so much sense considering how much money his family has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is kind of why, you know, what you were talking about earlier about sort of like just the writing is so great mm-hmm. um, because all of these things are just in the story. You discover yes. them as you go along. Nobody's yes. feeding you anything. Mm-hmm. And it also rewards you as you're watching it again to discover new things because I never even noticed that name in the in the sardines. But now it makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I was watching the opening credits and I was like, okay, like... I get the establishment of like, we're in Camden, Maine. There's fish. This is a very big industry for them. But mm-hmm. then when it came back around to it, I was like, oh shit, that is so smart. Yeah. It's just so smart. Yeah. And the movie, like what, one other thing that I really like also about the writing is that it's mainly from the point of view of Tom Wilkinson and CeCe Spacek. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, yes, we see Marisa Tomei and we see her with their son, Frank, played by Nick Stahl. We see them separate in scenes where you know tom wilkinson and, and cc spacek are not in but for the most part we're we just see it from from the parents point of view mm-hmm. like there is a scene that sort of starts in the middle where the tom wilkinson comes home and finds that his son took the day off and he's just having sex at home with Marissa mm-hmm. Tomei. But, and we never see them having sex. So we just see, see it from the point of view of the father coming exactly. in and hear, hearing voices. We also, there is, a, before he actually murders him, there is a first confrontation between the two younger men where Richard Marissa Tomei's um, ex sort of beats him up. Mm-hmm. And we don't see that at all. We just nope. see it from CeCe Spacek's point of view. She's coming home. She finds that the son is bleeding from his eye and his father is taking care of him and trying to like uh, make it better and whatever. And mm-hmm. so we just see it from her point of view and she's like, what happened? And I love that about the writing. We don't need to see the confrontation. We just need nope. to know that these things are happening. And so when you see all of this from the point of view of the parents, then we are in there with them when when the big thing happens and we are in there with them because the story is about their grief and what it drives them to do. Absolutely. And I was thinking while I was watching the movie, speaking of things that you don't see, you don't see Tom Wilkinson or Sissy Spacek's immediate reaction to them finding out that their son has been killed. Mm. I think that that is so smart because you fill that in for Mm -hmm. yourself and you can only imagine, which makes it sadder because it makes you imagine Mm -hmm. how they must have reacted. And the scene of Tom Wilkinson like walking up to the door to while they're in choir practice and just like turning to the door and then it just fades out. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so, so brilliant. Good. It's such sure-footed. Like it's somebody who's so assured, so yes. sure of his story, of his writing, of his mm-hmm. film, that he's he's sort of like able to be ruthlessly economical. He's like, we don't need all of this. We can yeah. just go right here. And know, trusting the on. audience. Trusting yeah. the audience's intelligence. Like, yeah. 
It's a very rare thing. Yeah. And even even the killing or the murder happens also just off camera. Because in yes. that scene, he's he's at Marissa Tomei's home and we're with Marissa, who's who's trying to shield her kids from the confrontation. So she puts them, she locks them in the room upstairs and then she comes down. And as she's coming down, she hears the gunshot. Mm-hmm. And then we just see the aftermath. We never that, see the actual killing. That makes it so much more surprising too, because mm-hmm. you don't see a gun being drawn or anything. You just hear the sound. So when that gunshot goes off, you're like, oh shit. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's interesting too. He kind of throws you for a very brief loop because we don't see it. Mm-hmm. So when they're calling into question if there was a struggle, if these things happened, because she didn't see it. You're like, wait a second, we didn't see it either. Like, mm-hmm. we know from what we've been told about this character that mm-hmm. there was no struggle. He straight up shot this guy. Yeah. But for just a second, you're just like, wait, mm-hmm. hold up. We didn't see everything. Yeah. But I love that. I love yeah. that. And this is basically the technicality that allows him to get out on bail because yes. she's she's sort of like in that middle of seeing this man she loves murdered by her ex and all of that. Of course, we don't see what she said. But she probably said that she saw him kill him. And then mm-hmm. later, a few weeks later, when she's in court, she says the and she's being interrogated. And she's like, she says that she didn't see it because she was coming down the stairs. And she didn't lie. She was just in the middle of trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. I the the fucked up nature of the justice system definitely rang through for me a lot in this viewing just Mm -hmm. the way that he was able to get away with it essentially on those technicalities based on law based on his family's stature like no doubt who we never see either we never see his family they may be like the most uptight rich people running shit he's not like that but we don't know all we know is that they've had enough money and property to get rid of this they have enough standing in the community that Mm -hmm. He don't got to really pay for his crimes the way that he should. Yeah. Yeah. It makes um, Sissy Spacek slap even more. um, I don't even know what the word is. I don't want to say like juicy, but loaded. (laughs) Loaded. (laughs) Loaded is the right word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Loaded because she's slapping her for several reasons at this point. Yes. It's because of the fact that this shit happened in the first place. The fact that the whole dating shit was happening. And then also because of her non-intentional fuck up in terms of that popping off in the court. Yeah. You know, she obviously didn't mean to. Like you said, you were in the middle of trauma. And so is Sissy Spacek. So she's like, bitch, you fucked up. Yeah. You fucked up. So this is Mar- Marissa Tomei gets slapped when she comes back after a few months, weeks. And anyway, after the, the son has died and she comes to Cece Spacek in the college where she works. And she's sort of trying to apologize to her. And Cece Spacek just simply slaps her and then mm-hmm. goes right back to whatever the fuck she was doing. I think she was mm-hmm. reading something. <laughs> mm-hmm. She puts her she puts her headphones back on, goes right back to it. Yeah. She's like, um, and that's the last time you see Marissa Tomei. Yeah, she's done in she, her part in the story is over. And I think she's also like, I think the other thing that I noticed in this watch is like, there is a lot about the age of Marissa Tomei. It's just so not acceptable by this woman that this 
younger woman than hers, but older than her son is mm-hmm. bit fucking her son. Like yeah. there is a little bit of resentment that she is, you know, she's a mother, but she's still young enough to get somebody maybe that young and handsome. There is that, mm-hmm. there is that, that that person is her son. Yep. And you can sort of feel that tension everywhere. She is so disapproving of this relationship. And Cece Slasic is so good in this movie. She's like She's so good. So amazing. Like, it's just like with the camera, when it goes to her face, you just read everything on everything. her face. Yeah, it's there. It's there how she feels about Marisa Tomei, how she feels about her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like she's so disapproving of this relationship. But after um, the murder, her that disapproval, her grief sort of transfers that disapproval from that relationship to her husband and how Absolutely. he's grieving or not grieving, how he's just. Um, drinking too much, which mm-hmm. he's not like he's yeah, just having yeah. some beers and some wine. Like, in yeah, her mind. like he, don't, he don't seem that lit to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but every time he takes a swig of something, she's just like so mad at it, and she's just looking at him, like yes. staring <laughs> him down when they're yeah. with their friends. Like she stares his ass down. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's so funny. So. Um, the scene that you talked about earlier, which is absolutely my favorite scene in the film, um, which is, um, basically after all this, after she transferred her, her grief into disapproving of her husband and the way he grieves, they have this big confrontation and things are said in that scene. They are just, it's like, it reminded me of that, the, um, what they said in the real world when people stop being polite. And start getting real. Yes. 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 Deadass. For sure. Yeah. So one of the things that she says to him, which is so devastating, she says to him, our son died because of your fantasy piece of ass. Basically accusing him of the fact that he wanted to fuck Marissa Tomei, but he couldn't because he's older and he's hasn't got it anymore. And so he vicariously lived the fantasy of seeing her with his son, mm-hmm. which is ch- kind of true because mm-hmm. there is a scene early in the movie where he and his um, his friend are looking at Marissa's ass, which is yeah. great. And she looks wonderful. Yeah. And so <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, which is so true. And that that when she says that and just like the way he reacts to her, I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. like he's mad at her. But also he knows that she's saying the truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's how we feel too, as the audience. We're like, damn, that's harsh, but I can see what you mean. And then when he turns it back on her, you're like, damn, that's harsh, but I see what you mean. And Mm -hmm. that is such a crazy place to be in with them because Mm -hmm. that is what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is why they can apologize and mean it, you know? Yeah. Because they're really going at each other in a way that I think only people who really love each other can, you know, like I do. One of the things I do love about this movie is that their relationship is very genuine and they do love each other. This is a part in their lives where things are filled with friction because of the inciting incident. It mm-hmm. really seems like shit was pretty okay. <laughs> from they're our not great. So, they're not great. Yeah. But you know, it, it feels like, 
that kind of feeling of y'all have been together for a long time. Yeah, they it's know each other. a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, and seeing how that even turns by the end of the movie too mm-hmm. is just, it's just a great relationship. And they are acting. They're they s- are acting. <laughs> yeah. That scene, it's like, it's why I think they got, they were both nominated for an Oscar and CC Spacek won a lot of awards and even came close to the Os- to winning the Oscar. But I think what I really loved about that scene is that they're basically accusing each other of murdering their son. Like yeah. he says to her, yeah. he says to him, he died because, because he was with your fantasy fuck. And he says to her, you are so unforgiving that he ran away from the from this cold house you kept, it reminded me of the crucible to mm-hmm. <laughs> to to Marisa Tomei's house and into her arms, and that's why mm-hmm. he died. It's just yep. like you're just like I was blown away by by sort of like the brutal ruthlessness yes. of the dialogue in the yes, scene. Absolutely, um, and it somehow still doesn't feel like dialogue and like showy. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of these big Oscar scenes feel very showy to the point where you feel like you can read it on the page. Like you're seeing the script in your head, but this, because of the writing, because this is, the scene is earned at this Mm -hmm. point in the movie. And because the acting is so good, it's just, and also because in the first part of this fight, they suddenly go handheld. Mm -hmm. So they're, he's allowing them to really just do it. He's Mm -hmm. like, this is your general area, but we gonna follow you. Like, yeah. this is gonna be your moment. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's just all so well set up and then delivered. And having the scene be split by him talking to that Girl Scout, where you can kind of see everything in his mm-hmm. mind, kind of like bringing him back to life. In Calming down, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, she becomes very... <laughs> grounding presence for him yeah it's so interesting yeah so they're interrupted by this girl scout uh, knocking on the door and he goes and buys some girl scouts cookies and when he comes back to your point the whole energy has shifted yeah like this is when they become more forgiving of each other and and, you know she acknowledges she she starts crying and she's like yes i've been horrible and yeah so she acknowledges like her her role in in the death of her son and mm-hmm. he acknowledges his role too and i think that's when they maybe hatch the pack to kill yes. richard <laughs> yes because they're just like okay this contributed but it wasn't the reason this contributed but it wasn't the reason you know what the reason was that man yeah and so they finally find the common enemy instead of because for a while they were each other's enemy <laughs> mhm mhm and i love too that there, there's like a little button to that scene where um, Sissy Spacek is like, I keep seeing him all the time. And Tom Wilkinson's like, yeah, you know, I see him all the time. And she's like, no, I'm not talking about our son. I'm talking about Richard. And that Mm -hmm. shifts again. The Mm -hmm. scene, it just like shifts the entire thing. Because it, it, as you say, it um, awakens them to a common enemy. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Such great writing. Like we could talk about this scene forever. Yeah. Um, and it it's the scene that starts with the big plate mm-hmm. when she crashes the plate. Mm-hmm. And it just goes from there. It doesn't give like I, I want to pause this podcast and go watch it again right now. It's so it's good. Very, it's so good. <laughs> this movie came out when I was 10. 
So that was really my entryway into this movie, seeing that scene in commercials. And then, you know, of course, I've been watching the Oscars since I was like seven, Mm -hmm. eight years old. So I still watch that year. And I remember Sissy Spacek from Carrie and being so terrified of her (laughs) as a kid. So, um, you know, kind of seeing her pop up was interesting in a role that's so different. And watching this movie around this time, she has aged as an actor so well. Thinking Mm -hmm. about stuff like Carrie and like the coal miner's daughter when she was really young, Mm -hmm. how excellent she was in that work and just how natural yeah she looks so is in this role and and, yeah yeah. and she looks natural like she kept her face she she let her face grow old with her exactly (laughs) yeah she seems like someone who is totally fine with where she is in any moment and that in hollywood that's yeah that's rare and that's a gift yeah Come back to us, Sissy Spacek. I think she's doing some TV show on Amazon, which I haven't watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in in the first season of Homecoming with Julia Roberts. Mm. She plays her mom, and she's great in that. And I feel like she is about to be in something else. But I mean, yeah, she's one of the greats, honestly. She's one of the greats. Like, gotta be up there in conversation with Meryl Streep and Susan Sarandon. Like, Queens, Glenn Close, Queens. Like, Yeah, totally. So I want to talk more about CC Basic. I want to talk more about the Oscars and who she lost to. And yes. I want to talk more about In the Bedroom. But before we get to all of that, Desmond, why don't you tell our listeners about your podcast, Adventures oh. in Black Cinema? <laughs> yes. So my podcast, Adventures in Black Cinema, essentially what we do every episode is I pick a film and I dig into the film through two alliterative themes, two themes that are in the film that start with the same letter. So, for example, Waiting to Exhale was an adventure in soundtracks and sisterhood because that mm. movie is so much about female friendship and the soundtrack fucking slaps. Oh, my God. <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> and like something like uh, Baby's Kids Adventures in Authenticity and Animation, because an animated film, and also authentically talks about the experiences of Black kids in America, albeit in different ways. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I like to kind of look at the movies through those lenses, kind of dig into them, dig into what they mean personally to me. And when I have a guest on, you know, what this film means personally to them, like how it inspired yeah. them, how it shaped how they see the world and things like that. That's the that's the meat and potatoes of the podcast. And I have yes. some fun floater segments and stuff like that. And uh, we also do a screening series at Nighthawk every month where I show a film that I've talked about on the podcast. Nice. And kind of do a mini version of what I talk about on the podcast. And most of the time, we do book these on film prints. So... It's very exciting to me to expose that kind of repertory programming to a Black audience. Mm-hmm. I feel like every other culture really gets to see their rep films played all the fucking time, which they is great. Do. Yeah. I love it. And I want that for us, a consistent place and space to come see these films and to see them in the original format that they were presented in, which yeah. is always a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. So where can we find this podcast? So 
Avengers in Black Cinema is streaming on all major podcast platforms. You can check it out. There's almost 60 episodes available. So lots to listen to you. And yeah, if you're in New York, come on out to Nighthawk Cinema for a screening. Uh, we've got Bay Base Kids coming up on September 14th at Prospect Park. And then Candyman in October. Candyman. So this podcast will drop after the 14th. So Candyman in October. Yeah, if you're in New York, Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> and those will both be on 35 millimeter prints. So come see them. Yeah. So let's go back to CC SpaceX for a little yes. bit. Um CC SpaceX in 2001 was about 20 years since she won the Oscar for Coal Miner's Daughter. Mm. And this movie was sort of, you know, as women in Hollywood uh, grow older, unfortunately, the roles dwindle. And so this was sort of thought of as her comeback. Mm -hmm. And she was just so wonderful in it. And that, and just, and she won, she got all the awards, um, nominations. She won the Golden Globe and everybody was like, oh my God, she's basically going to win another Oscar. Um, but she lost in the end to Halle Berry. Oh, you know. Monsters Bowl. You know, I knew there was something about this. So whenever, most, most of the time, when someone who I wanted to win from the past didn't win, mm-hmm. I look back and see what they lost to. And I'm just like, Okay, okay. You know, though I have issues with Halle Berry winning for that specific role, the fact that they made the decision to make history that night, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And Halle Berry remains the only Black actress, or the only non-white actress. only one. Yeah, she's the only Black actress, but it's just there's no other ethnicities that have won anyway. So there are no Hispanic actresses or Asian actresses who have won. So Halle Berry is the one representative in 90 plus years of the Academy. Um, Like there is, you know, Frances McDormand has three. Even Louise Rayner in the 30s had two. (laughs) Jesus Christ. So insane. So we love, we love Cece and she's wonderful in this, but I'm kind of glad Halle Berry sort of broke through. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And who else was nominated? Do you know? Um, Nicole Kidman for Moulin Rouge. Uh-huh. Um, then I think Judy Dench for Iris uh-huh. and Renee Zellweger for uh, Bridget, Jones. Bridget Jones. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> Random side note, short side note. I mentioned Iris in the office at Nighthawk a few weeks ago, and nobody knew what the fuck Iris was. <laughs> I was uh, like, y'all, I see that movie. Kate Winslet, uh, Jim Broadbent, uh, yeah. G. Dench. They're just like, no. And it doesn't sound like something we want to see. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. Yeah. That's and, fair. But and Jim Broadbent won the Oscar for Iris. Yeah, yeah he did. <laughs> and, the, and, you know, everyone's good in it. Is it a yeah. movie that people should, like, run and go see? I don't know. Not but really. they're good. They're, they're very good. good, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they should run and see in the bedroom for sure. Oh my God, for sure. Oh. Absolutely. So we talked about that scene. Um, is there any other scenes that stood out for you, Desmond, that you want to highlight? Mm, I mean, that slap always gets me for sure. The uh the scene with Celia Weston and Sissy Spacek when she's talking about her grandchildren mm-hmm. and Celia Weston just kind of like offhand says, you know, like, 
you know, basically says our lineage is going to go on for a while. You don't have to worry about our name dying out. And Sissy Spacek just kind of looks up and Celia Weston just starts like bursting into tears because she's like, I am so sorry. I did not mean to say that, mm-hmm. etc. And then Sissy Spacek is like, really cool about it, actually, because she knows and she understands that she didn't mean that. It's mm-hmm. just the way that Celia Weston turns on a dime like that in mm-hmm. a very real and honest way, it doesn't feel showy. I feel like a lot of actors would have approached that and kind of been like, oh my God, oh, I'm so, I didn't mean, but she just starts crying. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's just it's- so real. Celia Weston is wonderful and and I'm so happy you wrote that scene because that scene is is so touching and I think it It also just shows us a different side to the character played by Cece Spacek because usually she's so tense she's always mad about something or she's really sad and in that's or crying or but in this scene you sort of feel her sort of like maybe she's finally accepting what Mm -hmm. has happened and she's sort of Mm -hmm. like there is a little bit of a thaw to her emotions and even to her face which is so tense for most of the film um and i think maybe that's the impact of sharing the space with celia weston who's such a warm presence in everything she does yeah there is this kind of warmth that she brings out of sissy spacek when they're talking about something that is honestly like pretty mundane and pretty boring. And Sissy Space like doesn't even want to be there in the first place. Mm-hmm. But you can tell that she's not faking her responses to her. Mm-hmm. She's genuinely like really interested in this shit that she's telling her about Disney World and mm-hmm. her grandkids and shit. It's a really nice moment. And to kind of see, you know, afterwards, that scene where her eyes are darted at her man <laughs> for that wine. And then I know. After, and then after that, She's asleep in the car. Yeah. You can tell that that whole weekend, that whole ordeal was like exhausting for her. So exhausting. Yeah. Just a real moment where, again, nothing is said. You don't have to say anything. All you got to do is see her just like with her shirt on the window, just like. Yeah. Still going through it. Yeah. And also wonderful is Tom Wilkinson, who is an actor. Oh, 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 And this was like his. Like this and Michael Clayton, which I think came a few years after, like... Yep, 07. Like he's in two absolute classics. Yes, yes. Oh my God. And he's so good in both. (laughs) It's so funny. I was thinking something that actually connected to Michael Clayton while I was rewatching this movie because I thought of him in that as well. Mm -hmm. There's something so great and so um, next level when you can truly believe the job that an actor has in a movie. Like, you can truly believe that Sissy Spacek is a choir director. The way that she is, Mm -hmm. you just believe it. You believe that this woman has been doing this for years. Same thing with Tom Wilkinson, because it made me think of the same thing about him and Tilda Swinton and George Clooney and Michael Clayton. Mm -hmm. You believe all them motherfuckers is all up in their shit. (laughs) And sometimes even the best actors, there's just that one little detail that you don't, quite believe for whatever reason they actually like do this you just kind of see the actor Mm -hmm. in this role but man that specificity they all have it yeah they have Um, 
And you mentioned that Cece's basic is a choir conductor. So, which it made us, I forgot that that's her job. And now <laughs> Kate Blanchett is going to be a conductor in Tar. She's not a choir conductor. She's yeah. a, sim- a symphony conductor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. And something else I noticed about his movies too, women are always first build. Absolutely. Yes. In all three of them. All yeah. three. All yeah. three. Like, I feel as if it would have been so easy for them to just put Tom Wilkinson first. Mm-hmm. So easy. Yeah. Because of, you know, Hollywood and how that works. Like, for example, Ryan Gosling is credited first on La La Land. When the movie is totally um, Emma Stone's. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> what is that? But I just, I just love it. It's a, it's a, it's a small detail that I think if you're in the business in any form or fashion, you really appreciate because it doesn't happen all the time, regardless of the size of the role. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Tom Wilkinson maybe has the bigger role slightly because I do want to talk about the last sort of third of the film or the last Mm -hmm. 20 minutes or whatever, when the movie kind of sort of becomes a thriller. Yes. So after that big confrontation with his wife, where Desmond and I suspect they hatched a plan to kill this dude, um, he sort of goes on and meets with his, with his friend, Celia Weston's husband, and they, and he kidnaps Richard, the murderer, Mm -hmm. and sort of takes him away with some place um, with this friend of his and then shoots him three times. And we sort of know that maybe this wasn't the plan or at least his friend doesn't think it was the plan. The plan mm-hmm. was to just to drive him home. But what happens is that when he goes home to Sissy Spacek, who's smoking, tense smoking in bed, waiting for him. Mm-hmm. And he comes home at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. after being gone all night doing this. And she asks him, is it done? Did you do it? <laughs> yes. And he never, res- he never responds. And she just then starts going about her day. And the film ends with her saying, asking him from downstairs if he had, if he would like some coffee. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's the implication is life is finally back for these yes. two people. Yes. Um, yes. Two, two things I want to ask you about this scene. The first is, did did you feel that it was a little bit of a disconnection from the rest of the movie? Because the rest of the movie were just following these characters doing their lives. And now it becomes this thing where they kidnap someone and there's like, it's not a thriller exactly, it's, mm. but it's like, it's a kidnapping. And yeah. it sort of felt to me a little just disconnected from the rest of the film. Did you feel that? I think maybe in previous watches I have, but this time I was like, oh, these little details kind of add up. You know, it's the conversation that they have after the argument. And then also, is Tom Wilkinson's character a veteran? He has a veteran's license plate, right? Mm, I didn't notice that, but maybe. I think he is. Either he is or his friend is, or they both are. Because there's something about the way that he operates from that point on that makes sense being a veteran he's like i've been out here not in these not in these streets per se but having that attitude you (laughs) know you know like he knows like he's familiar with the gun yes he's familiar with the gun he's familiar with certain techniques you know even though he does kind of fumble a little bit 
with the evidence when he gets home, he's not like that deep into it. He's not like fucking CIA or anything. Yeah. That makes him human. It's a nice human moment. Um, yeah. I think that little detail, if I'm remembering correctly, his license plate having like a veteran thing on it, then it kind of like makes sense to me as little details are adding up and kind mm-hmm. of a way of asking, you know, what else could have been done? In this scenario. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, And maybe the disconnection is sort of that I felt is intentional because Mm -hmm. this is what this grief drove these people to do. Something they never thought they were, they will ever do in their lives. Yeah. And Sissy Spacek, that is a Lady Macbeth moment. Oh my God. Yeah. That is a Lady Macbeth moment. And it's so interesting because it, it still follows that same like relationship pattern where you can tell he's fucked up. Mm-hmm. He's a little fucked up from this. The only thing he can seem to really say is that he saw a picture of the two of them together. Yeah. And you can tell on his face that he's shocked that she was happy. Yeah. And that she was smiling yeah. in that photo. And like you said, this is Marissa Tomei. Line, Marissa Tomei mm-hmm. was the ex. So he discovers that maybe they had happy, happy times mm-hmm. in the past, which he didn't think of before. Exactly. He did not consider that. Yeah. And um, yeah, like you were saying, the last line of the movie, Sissy Spacek's, Sissy Spacek's line about like, do you want some coffee? She really going, she really going on about her day. Yeah. Like she's, <laughs> she's finally starting to live again. Mm-hmm. And it's, speaking of the economy of the storytelling and what we need to know and what we don't need to know, we come into their lives at the perfect moment and we leave at the perfect moment. Yeah. We don't need to know anything else about what happens after that. If they get caught, if they find the body, if, you know, homeboy breaks down, that's not the story. Yeah. Absolutely. The story ends with yeah. the problem ending. Yeah. the other note that um i think i noticed is that earlier in the movie tom wilkinson um hurts himself and he bleeds in his finger when while he's fishing and in in the finale after sissy space it goes goes downstairs before she asks him about the coffee he looks at the finger that was bleeding earlier and takes the plaster off and it's healed Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a little bit on the nose that mm-hmm. uh, like, oh, we finally healed yeah, from yeah. that grief or whatever that hurt. I mean, you know, that grief never goes away, but like, at least it's a little bit of a healing, right? It's so interesting that you say that because um, I didn't think that, but that makes a lot of sense. And that's slightly funny, <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking that it was kind of like a thing of him thinking, you know, oh, shit. Is my DNA all up in this piece? Because I had like a wound on my finger because of this shit. But I think it's probably more of what you're saying. They're like, oh shit, I'm healed. (laughs) Or anyway, gonna heal. Gonna heal. Yeah, exactly. There's still a scar there. Yeah. That's just getting better. And that's kind of like, you know, stages of grief. It does not go away, Mm -hmm. but there are certain things about it that eventually you start to live with it. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah, this movie's so great. Um, it's so good. Who so, won against Tom Wilkinson? Um, Denzel Washington. Oh, shit. Damn. Again, again, it's like... Yeah. I mean, Denzel needs a Best Actor Oscar. Absolutely. So that was they owed him, yo. They For Malcolm him. X, yeah. They owed him. And also, like, Tom Wilkinson was just wasn't 
as big a name and he still yeah. isn't like he was never like this is basic was a true blue movie star who's been nominated several times and she won and she had a long career and tom wilkinson is more of a character actor who mm-hmm. like came to fame later in life so mm-hmm. i think all these factors sort of like just he was never really seen as a winner no totally absolutely and it's like um this very much does feel like a oh like getting to know you like you are very impressive because that's the first time I ever remember seeing him. You're right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, British people may have been more familiar with him, but this was his like first big splash in an yeah. American movie, right? But he was in the full Monty, which was a few years before that. Yes! That was his breakthrough. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yo, full Monty, low-key slaps. And low-key slaps. <laughs> yeah. That year, Best Picture nominees, slaps. Yeah. Honestly, Titanic, very impressive film, but any of those movies could have won. Yeah, and totally. Yeah. So that was his big breakthrough was the full month. Word, which, I forgot which, about that. Thank which you. was a few years before. Um, in yeah, the bedroom. yeah. I think he, he should have won for Michael Clayton. But then you remember that that was the year of Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men. Yep, and you're 07. just like this. This dude is just unlucky in, yeah. you know, because time is the thing, right? You need to have the performance yeah. in the movie, but also in the year where you're like just seen as the best or the one no. who deserves it. Yeah, nobody stood a chance. Yeah. But that year was so interesting for supporting actress because every single person, it was different. Every single, every yeah. single award show. I yeah. think the only person, cause uh, Ruby Dee won the SAG. Yeah. Kate Our won, the, Kate Goldie, won, won the, the Golden, Golden Globe. Globe. Yeah. She was so good in that fucking movie. And then of course, Tilda. Ooh. Ooh. She's and then so Tilda won the movie. Oscar. Yeah. She's Saoirse so Ronan was the only one who didn't win anything for a tournament. Yep. yep. <laughs> And did Amy Ryan win like a critics award or something? She won like, the most of the critics awards, yes. Word, word. Yeah. I just want to see my data. <laughs> I just want my data back. Yes. She's so good in that movie. She's so good in that Amy movie. Ryan is the kind of actor who probably belongs in this town in that in Maine and in, in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Like oh, you could sure. see her that she could be one of the people living there. Oh, for sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. Another queen. All so, of them. All five of them. Great category. Yeah. I mean, I just love how in conversation this movie is in some ways with little children. I love... Tell me about that. How do you see that conversation? You know, these these stories about these fairly normal people dealing with these very big situations Mm -hmm. that still, as big as they are, are very, like, microcosmic. They happen in a very, very small space. In New England. Yeah. Um, They're both adapted from novels and they have that, not novels, novels and stories. Mm -hmm. And they definitely have that feel to them. Excellent soundscapes, great scores by Thomas Newman. And there's always this kind of, I guess less in this movie, but more so in Little Children. Mm -hmm. There's always something kind of in the er undercurrent, the underbelly of this that just feels extremely, extremely dangerous. And I guess that's kind of what happens in this movie when the murder occurs. You know, everything feels very suburban at first in terms of the issues Mm -hmm. until the danger happens. And then it's like... it's They're both about what's beneath the surface of these seemingly happy content lives yes and great openings great endings you're in these people's lives the perfect amount of time um they're just 
so well acted, so well shot. And like you were saying with the small characters in this movie, same thing goes for little children. Like that mom who kind of like goes after Kate Blanchett, not Kate Blanchett, Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet, yeah. She's in like two Her nemesis. Her ne- <laughs> she makes such an impact, yo. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're just very, very rich narratives with some peak performances, peak writing. Phyllis Thummerville, bitch, oh, was so eating, yeah. eating. Yeah. Jane Addams, eating. Just yeah. everybody. And I'm so excited for Tar because mm-hmm. what he also does is pairs people up so well. Tom mm-hmm. Wilkinson and Sissy Spacek, perfect match. Mm-hmm. Kate Winslet and Patrick Wilson, perfect match. Mm-hmm. Jackie Earl Haley, Phyllis Somerville, perfect match. Mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett and Nina fucking Haas, acting. These yes. women are about <laughs> to be acting. These are stage actresses from overseas. They will be no faking in this movie. Yeah, it will <laughs> they be don't know how. It'll, They yeah. don't know how to fake shit. Yeah. It's going to be loud. <laughs> So, yeah, I know. I'm so excited to see Kate with Nina Haas. I love Nina Haas. Uh, She's a wonderful actor. And she's so nice. She was in a show at St. Anne's Warehouse when I was working there. And mm. she's such a lovely, lovely oh, person. Nice. It's, she's that's so good lovely. to know. It's always mm-hmm. nice when, like, somebody you think so much of because of their talent is actually a nice person. So lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So when you mentioned Nina, it reminded me, I don't know if you saw this, but in the in the press conference for Tar at Venice, um, one of the um, journalists asked Kate Blanchett, she's like, he's like, she was like, you know, I'm glad to see you and Nina Haas work together because I always thought of Nina Haas as the Kate Blanchett of Germany. And then <laughs> Kate responds to that. She's like, maybe I'm the Nina Haas of Australia. I should be so lucky. Yes. Oh, queens respecting queens. See, this is, this is the world that I want yeah. to live in. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, that was a nice moment. Um, and I think it's a nice moment to end on. Yes. Desmond, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank really you for having me. I love talking with you. This was such a great conversation. Yes. Um, and before we go, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work. Yes, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Desmond Thorne. That is Thorne with an E at the end. And you can catch me at Nighthawk Cinema. I have three monthly series there. So you can catch me three to four times a month there doing intros, Q&As, everything like that. So come through anytime. Yeah, Desmond programs some wonderful series at Nighthawk. So if you're in New York or you're in Brooklyn, um, go go there. Go Thank you. hang out with Desmond. And yes. <laughs> And you can find me on Twitter at M-E underscore says or follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, where we will discuss little children. Thank you for listening. <laughs>